good to see such a wonderful audience to gather this morning, gathered together to worship God and to study from His Word. This morning, I want to present a lesson that I have had on my mind for quite some time, and that is, what is right with the church? By way of introduction, I'd like for you to think of what many of us might do when we're visiting a congregation in another location. Uh, We arrive and we sort of judge the way people receive us by those who speak to us as we enter in. And then as the service begins, as the song leader begins to lead the singing, we sometimes evaluate the song choice. Did they go along with the lesson? Did they have some very valuable thoughts within the words? Then as the preacher gets up to preach, what kind of lesson does he deliver? Is it filled with God's Word? And if we're not careful, when we go somewhere else, we will nitpick and begin to try to find areas where we feel like everybody could have done a little bit better. On Sunday evenings, we have been studying about false teachings that have taken place in and around our area. And it's very easy as we study things like this to become negative about the church. To think there are no more faithful brethren and that there's something inherently wrong with the church as if the church is somehow a failure. As if there's something negative or not good about the church or something wrong with it. And the truth is, as we just had read to us just a few moments ago, if you'll notice particularly again the words of verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. You see, we have to view the church from God's eyes, and that is the church is a glorious church. It is the beautiful bride of Christ. It is the church that makes known the manifold wisdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul writes, To the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want us to take a few moments to study seven things that are right with the church. These are going to come in very quick succession, and they are going to be very important things that are right with the church. To begin with, we need to talk about the church has the right foundation. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he said to them, According to the grace of God, which was given to me, As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. There is no other foundation, Paul says, that anyone can lay and build it properly. In Ephesians 2 and verse 20, he says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, 
Jesus is that first stone upon which everything rests and by which everything is measured from. It is important to realize the church has the right foundation. And it's essential that as a person begins to think about upon what they build, that you do build on the right foundation. We studied just a few weeks ago in studying the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, and through going through verse 27. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. But you see, here's a problem. People do not realize that it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that is the foundation of the right church. When Peter and the apostles were gathered around the Lord in the area of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked him a question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And Peter responded, beginning with verse 16, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here's a problem in the world. The world needs to know that the right foundation, what is right with the church is that it's built upon Christ. It's not built upon Muhammad. It's not built upon Joseph Smith. It's not built upon Peter. The right thing about the church is that it has the right foundation. Second of all, it has the right faith. I have people who come to me occasionally when they find out that I'm a preacher, and they'll say, what faith are you? Can you think about that question for just a moment? What faith are you? As if a person can have any number of faiths, and that will be okay. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is above all, through all, and in all. One faith. Not many. And the right thing about the church is that it does have that one faith. When I go to the Bible, I can find out that whenever you put the definite article in front of it, the faith, it's referring to a system of salvation. It's referring to the doctrine that is taught in Scripture. For instance, in Acts 6 and verse 7, as the gospel was preached, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. I can also read in Jude 1 and verse 3, he says, It is necessary to write you, 
exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. But as I go further, I find out that when the gospel was preached, the people there accepted that gospel and by it were accepting the faith. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is the faith that is revealed. Now you can deny it. You can depart from it. But what's right about the church is the faith. The Spirit says in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Verse 8 of that same chapter, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially those of his household, he has denied the faith. Back in chapter 1 and verse 19, Having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. But you also can grow in it. This faith that is right, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built it up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The third thing about the church that is right is that it has the right framework. You see, a framework is a structure. It's an organization, if you will. A structure, if you're talking about a building. But if you're talking about organization, it's the structure in which it follows. And God has revealed a plan for the structure of His church. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 and 11... Paul would say, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You see, it was God who devised the plan that says, I want these particular groups to be in the leadership of, direction of, the framework of, the body of Christ. Apostles and prophets were temporary officers. To be an apostle meant that you had seen the Lord and that you were a witness of the resurrection. To be an apostle meant that you could place your hands on someone and confer the Holy Spirit. After those men who saw the Lord and where witnesses from him died, there were no more apostles. God also gave prophets. And according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where there be prophecies, they will cease. The role of a prophet after the revealing of the New Testament also was an office that was no longer filled. But God gave some evangelists. An evangelist is one who preaches the gospel. That was God's plan. That's the way he wanted it to be. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, it was God's good pleasure through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 
and some pastors and teachers. Pastors are the shepherds, the overseers, the bishops, the elders of the Lord's church. When Paul wrote the Philippian brethren, he said to them, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, all the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. You can see how he tied them together. And God's plan involves these shepherds, these overseers, watching for those within the congregation. Obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Those shepherds were placed there by God. And that's right, because that's God's framework. That's God's plan. And it's only when the church is properly organized that it can do the work that God has given it and that it can be really productive. Number four, the church has the right function. Every organization has a function or a purpose. I'll give you a couple of illustrations. Coca-Cola. Their main purpose is to provide drinks for people, particularly soft drinks. You know about Coca-Cola. You know about Sprite. You know about all those other brands. But that's their main function. That's what they do. There's companies like Verizon that are in the business of communications. And what they do, they provide that service. That's their function. That's why they exist. The main function of the Lord's church is to glorify God. In Matthew 5 and verse 16 we read, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I could repeat those kind of verses many, many times over. Everything that the Lord's church exists for is to give glorification to the God of heaven. That is our function. That's what we do. But you see... A function is carried out by individual things. For instance, if we want to talk about Verizon being a communications company, part of what they do is cell phones. Part of what they do is home phones. They have other things they are involved in in communication. When you start thinking about how we, as God's people, have the right function, we do that when we make disciples. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. When you read that, you realize when we go out and we spread the gospel, when we make disciples, we are glorifying God. We also glorify God when we build one another up within the body. When we in the church edify ourselves. When Paul wrote the Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, 
But speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things who, unto him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which each part does its share. Now listen carefully to the last clause. Causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The church is edifying itself. Now how does it edify or build up itself? That's when we weep with those who weep, we rejoice with those who rejoice, and according to Galatians 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We not only build one another up when we study together from God's Word, but we build one another up when we encourage and exhort one another. But we also glorify God when we care for those who are needy. In Galatians 6 and verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. We have an obligation to have a compassionate heart. And that's the right function because when we do our good works, Matthew 5:16, we are glorifying God. In 1 John 3, verses 16 and following, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods sees his brother in need and shuts up his compassion from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Going through verse 18. But next, we have the right fellowship. The word fellowship, that is found numerous times in the Bible, refers to a joint participation. It describes, for instance, the partnership that James and John had with Peter and Andrew in the fishing business. It's relational in the sense that you have brothers and sisters in Christ. And when I go to 1 John, John is going to explain this idea of the right fellowship. He said, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You have this horizontal relationship, brothers and sisters. And then he says you have this vertical relationship here with the Father and with the Son. You drop down to verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses us from all sin. We enjoy a wonderful fellowship together. That fellowship is enhanced, this joint participation, when we come together in an assembly. Earlier we sang songs of praise together, or to use the words of Scripture, to one another. When you and I gather together here, we need to realize we're here to stir up one another. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, 
but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. We assemble together, and that is a fellowship that we enjoy together. Too often, our idea of fellowship is having a meal after services. Fellowship is when we work together, when we assemble together, and the church excels when it is working together. When Paul wrote the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all in joy, with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Macedonians, the Philippians were involved in helping Paul spread the gospel by supporting them. That was fellowship. Acts 2.42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. But the church also has the right focus. The modern world has changed the focus to being on the individual. It was President Kennedy who in his inaugural address said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. So many people today have misunderstood and they look at everything, whether it is the church, whether it is the country, or whether it is someone else. What are you going to do for me? But you see, the church has the right focus that is not on me, but on God. For instance, worship is about God, not the worshiper. In Hebrews 13 and verse 15 Therefore, by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When we assemble together here and we sing the songs, we don't sing the songs about us. We sing the songs about our Savior, about God our Father, and giving praise and exultation to his name. You see, the right focus of the Lord's church is to change from the physical, this material world, to the spiritual one. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, Jesus talking about people who were worried about what they would eat or what they would drink or what they would put on. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Put God first and the material things will find their proper place. Matthew 16 and verse 26, what profit is it to a man if he gains a whole world and loses his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? As a Christian, you weigh the options, and the material world is worth nothing in comparison to the spiritual. Or Colossians 3, 2, set your mind on the things above and not on the things on the earth. The church has the right focus. But the church also has the right future. The truth is, God has always sought a future for His own people. 
even under the Old Testament system, God wanted there to be a good future for his people. In Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Even in this material world, God wants to give people a future to look forward to. But more important than any physical future is the spiritual future that is held before the child of God. God's people get to be with him when this life is over. John 14 and verse 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 17 says, and last phrase, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. How wonderful of a place that will be. What a wonderful future. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You see, as you start looking at the futures that are possible, the church has the right future. And it's all because Jesus Christ made this possible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Don't ever get down on the church. God designed it. It is the glorious, beautiful bride of Christ. And whenever I am tempted to start looking for negative things, about the church, be reminded that the church is the bride of Christ. Now something that I came to realize as I started looking through all these aspects of what's right with the church is that what is right with the church is what God did. The design, the plan, the organization... Everything that is involved in our being good and right comes from God. It's like James 1. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation nor shadow of turning. That's what's right with the church. And it is my goal and should be your goal to make sure that we are what God wants us to be. And you can be a part of that glorious body of Christ. I want to end with the first gospel sermon preached by Peter.
They came to him and they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter responded in Acts 2 and verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Evidently, there were some who responded immediately upon hearing that. But if you drop down to verse 40, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You know, the Lord can add you to his body this morning. If you do what they did... You come forward, you say, I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. I want to be a part of the right church. And I want to see the good rightness within this wonderful body, the church. And if I am part of the failures of this church, and that's a very good possibility, then what I need to do is I need to correct my life. And if it is you, you need to correct your life. And we can do that by being restored to faithfulness. It's the Lord's invitation. If you're subject to it, would you come as we stand and sing?